Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we will be continuing with our series of ongoing roundtable conversations with the fixed income team from the UBS Chief Investment Office. We do have joining us for this month's roundtable, Alina Gallant, Frank Saleo, Sangita Marfadia, as well as Barry McElinden. Leading today's conversation, glad to welcome back the head of taxable fixed income strategy for the Americas, Leslie Falconio. So with that, Leslie, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's roundtable. Welcome back. Thank you, and and thanks everyone for coming on. I mean, although it might be a little late, happy 2024. Um, in In this discussion, we just really want to talk about some of our outlook for the first quarter as we're in, you know, not quite three weeks into the year, and we're going to reference also some of the uh, from the piece that we wrote in the fixed income strategist, which was out the the first week of of January, and and just to sort of you know give a big picture overview of of our thought process heading into 2024 and our house view is that you know right now we are expecting a soft landing um, in terms of from for, for the economy, although we do think you know trend growth. Trend, growth trends lower to about 2% GDP by the end of the year. It's obviously not going to be as robust as it was that we saw in the third quarter. We do you know, believe that it stays above trend. Our view is also that the Fed will ease in 2024 by about 100 basis points, starting it around that May area. Um, but again, you know, with inflation trending lower, you know, with growth showing some signs of weakness, but not recessionary, and a you know an easing Fed, but not to the point where they're overly accommodative. You know, we really need to ask ourselves what we think about risk assets and fixed income going forward. You know, one of the things that we noted in the strategist was that in 2023, you know, we ended, we started and ended the year at a 388 10-year yield, but the gap was from a three and a quarter to 501. So there was a tremendous amount of interest rate volatility that we witnessed throughout the year. And finally, you know, in December, after the uh, December FOMC, you know, we saw a lot of spread compression. We saw yields coming down and the market was pricing in what it has for the past 40 years, a yield decline when the market is convinced that the Fed is pausing. So with that said, you know, what we want to talk about with our team today is just how they for, how they view uh, risk assets, given the strong performance that we saw at the end of the year, what they think for for the first quarter, and you know, most importantly, since we have a market where, as normally occurs, the fixed income market's forward looking, they have a tendency to price in much more eases than what the Fed is guiding. Once again, we're at that situation where the, the market is pricing in about 150 basis points of easing, while Fed commentary has tried to pull that market back a little bit. So we've seen interest rates rise the first three weeks of the year. Our short-term 10-year yield range is about 375 to four and a quarter. Although we think long-term interest rates go down, we definitely want to pick our spots in terms of opportunity. But let's kick off this conversation with some of the sectors that did incredibly well this year. And I want to start with high yield and Alina. So, Alina, if you could just recap, not only just 2023, but how do you, how you see sort of performance going forward over the short term over the next couple months? Thanks, Leslie. Thanks for having me here. You're absolutely right. We had a very strong rally during the last two months of the year. High yield returned 8.4% in just November and December alone and was up 13.5% for the full year 2023. Looking at spreads, uh, they tightened by 144 basis points during 2023 and got to very low levels, in our opinion. We have given some of this back just in the last two weeks, 
We're about 23 basis points wider from the beginning of the year now. And currently, we sit at 362 basis points in spread and close to 8% in yield. So where we are today, if you look at on historical basis, um, the spread is actually still tight in our opinion. We're at the 22nd percentile in spread going back to 2001, and we're at the 19th percentile since the global financial crisis. Now, if you look at yields, uh, on the other hand, the yield is actually still attractive. It's obviously not as attractive as it was back in October, but at around 8%, we are in the 60th percentile since 2001. Now, what's interesting is that the credit quality of the high yield index has actually been declining since 2020, and this is in contrast to how tight spreads are right now. The percent of double Bs in the index is now at 47%, and that's down from 54% in 2020. And the portion that is triple Cs is now at 13%, which is up from 11% in 2021. So what do we think here for Q1? We think that high yield returns will mostly come from carry. Uh, given how tight spreads are, we would not be surprised to see them widen a bit during this quarter particularly as we look at double B names or higher quality high yield in general, we feel that the that subsector's valuations are pretty stretched. Double B spreads are actually 14th percentile historically, and many double B names are trading at levels not far off from their triple B counterparts. So we think that it makes sense to move up in quality from double Bs to triple Bs. And overall, we are neutral on high yield going into Q1, as we think that you could get some spread widening, but you also have enough carry from the yield to act as a buffer to total returns. I'm going to stop there and turn it back to you, Leslie. Thanks, Lena. And I, and I think, you know, you, you bring up some, some really great points. And, and first off is that we know that, you know, listen, the driver of total returns in fixed income is income. And we all we always talk about that in the spread cushion and the yield cushion that you're given from fixed income versus what interest rates were several years ago. But, but as you pointed out, you know, given the compression that we've seen as of late, the yields that we started with this year are, necess- are attractive, but not as attractive that we saw last year. So I, I think just to emphasize what you're saying is, you know, opportunistically we're going to pick our spots but remain neutral in, on the high yield side. And I think with that, I want to just go over to you, Frank, because as we talk about, you know, these risk assets and, and credit, particularly with sectors like preferred, which, you know, as you and I know, during the March financial instability, we took we took advantage right after to take a lo- what we call a long positioning on that. It did very well for us. We went back to neutral. But how do you feel in terms of the or your outlook for preferred securities given the, the last quarter of the year and heading into the first quarter of this year? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, just well, just uh, starting with the looking at the recent performance, as you mentioned, I think it's a similar story to what Alina uh, outlined with respect to high yield. I think the headline uh, this month really is Preferred's Power Ahead. And that's because Preferred's had a real strong ending to 2023, uh, as you mentioned, as Alina mentioned, for most fixed income sectors. Preferred's returned 6.5% in the fourth quarter of last year. That included uh, that includes a one-month return of 7% for the month of November. And this was all mostly attributable to the rate rally at the end of the year. As you mentioned, the 10-year Treasury yield dropped from about 5% in mid-October 
to 388 at year end, basically doing a, a round trip uh, and starting the uh, ending the year just where it started at 388, right to the decimal point, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, as we turn the page on the calendar to January, uh, the rally in preferreds has continued so far in 2024, even though rates have backed up here a little bit. <clears throat> preferreds are still up for the year, uh, just under 1% year-to-date, about 0.8%. But that performance occurs against the backdrop of higher rates. And um, so, so that means valuation has weakened a bit. We have the 10-year Treasury yield now back above 4%. It's about uh, it's above 4.10, actually, around 4.15 as we speak, maybe 4.14. And so although uh, looking at valuation, yield spreads over Treasuries are above historical averages in the $1,000 par space, those preferred yield spreads among $25 par preferreds are somewhat below average. So that could create a headwind uh, as we look forward uh, to the weeks and, and months ahead. Plus, we could continue to see some near-term volatility in Treasury yields with rates remaining volatile and potentially moving higher, which would pose a headwind as well. And this could happen as the market kind of shakes out uh, uh, their uh, expectations for Fed policy. So overall, Leslie, we did move to a neutral view uh, on preferreds last month, but longer term, looking out into 2024, beyond the next quarter or so, I think lower trending inflation and a less restrictive Fed with a few rate cuts this year, as you mentioned, uh, we are expecting about 100 basis points of easing this year. That environment should should provide uh, a supportive rate backdrop for preferreds. And we do have current yields of about 6% or more in the preferred space. That's above historical averages. And so uh, those yields against the backdrop of generally lower trending rates this year could lead to impressive performance and solid 12-month returns. And we could add to that the potential for uh, the supply-demand technical to lend support as well. Uh, notably, last year, new issuance in the preferred space was was fairly subdued, and really, uh, that new issuance was outweighed by redemptions. So we saw net redemptions in the preferred market last year, and we could see a similar dynamic this year. Plus, we may also see more inflows from preferred ETFs and other funds that could uh, help as well, particularly as we move into uh, mid-year that demand and those those inflows from those uh, products could uh, support additional demand, provide additional demand, and provide support to the preferred sector, again, particularly as we move into mid-year. But over the next quarter, over the next several weeks and, and couple of months, we could instead uh, for right now see uh, flat returns as the market recalibrates Fed rate expectations. You mentioned in the introduction that the market is pricing in about 150 basis points of easing. That's likely uh, too aggressive, as you've uh, articulated in the past. And as the market kind of recalibrates uh, those rate expectations, we could continue to see near-term volatility, which would bleed over into the preferred space. So overall, Leslie, I'd say that 
Uh, looking at the preferred sector right now, we're back to a kind of a quote-unquote near-term caution, long-term opportunity type of outlook for preferreds. Thank you, Frank. And, and just to just to reiterate, for both you know high yield and preferreds, we are neutral right now. We are not negative. We're neutral. And and as both Frank and Alina pointed out, is that as we see you know some short-term volatility, maybe you know pockets of spread widening, we're definitely going to be opportunistic on both those sectors and take take advantage of relative value going forward. So, and with that said, I want to just go to the close-in fund now and to you, Sangita, because you know as I mentioned in the first part of um, our, our, you know, meeting, you know, we've had a tremendous amount of interest rate volatility, you know, this year, which we know can, can present pockets of vulnerability, um, to your sector. So how did you see sort of closed end the last part of the year and what are your expectations for the first quarter? Sure. Thanks, Leslie. So in January, we have yet to see January effect whereby we expect closed end funds and other equity, equities, et cetera, to do really well. However, I think one of the reasons why we have not seen that is because of the returns we saw, not just in closed-end funds, but overall markets in November and December. Closed-end funds, for example, just the month of November alone were up well over 10%. We ended the year with the returns, positive returns in November and December, wiping out all of the gains from earlier in 2023 for a solid returns among most of the closed-end funds we cover. So far, as we've seen 10-year Treasury yields go up and down, as Frank mentioned today, closer to 414, we've continued to see funds trading sideways. It makes sense to remind everyone that closed-end funds do use leverage, and several of the closed-end funds invest in fixed-income securities. The leverage is borrowing funds at short-term rates and investing them long-term. As a result, the benefit that you get from these short-term rates versus investing at higher rates enables the closed-end funds to pay out extra income, and that's one of the reasons why people are attracted to closed-end funds. Until we see some stability and clarity in terms of where rates are headed, when will Fed uh, start to cut? I know that's a big question in the marketplace, anywhere from two cuts to six, seven cuts for the year. So one of the things we are going to keep an eye on are the borrowing rates, the short-term rates, because that's what's going to tell us whether the distributions that closed-end funds pay out are at risk, and that determines also the market price reaction for closed-end funds. In terms of valuations, we've still seen funds trading at discounts. Even though they had solid returns in November and December, the discounts haven't narrowed because market prices have gone up, in line with what the underlying has done. So, yes, we had positive returns, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the discounts have narrowed. Funds obviously will benefit when we start to see Fed cut rates. That will help their borrowing costs. It will also help underlying fixed income assets to go up in market prices. Now, I know Frank and Leslie both reiterated that we are still neutral on preferred, not negative, but neutral. For closed-end funds, we still like some of the preferred funds that are trading at a discount. And one of the key reasons is that preferred funds use interest rate swaps to lock in their borrowing costs. And therefore, the risk to dividend is minimal. In addition, these funds also pay out qualified dividend income, pay out qualified dividend income, which gets taxed at lower income tax rates for uh, folks in the higher tax brackets. So that's what we are looking at right now. 
I think the first quarter we're probably going to trade sideways. And then, of course, everyone's counting on Fed to cut rates, and that should benefit uh, closed-end funds across the board. Thank you, Sangeeti. I appreciate that. That was actually that was a great that was a great summation. And now I would just want to sort of end with Barry McElinda because you know he covers our investment grade corporates and those who follow our our publications and our house view are well aware that we still have a bias um, for high quality, whether it's investment grade corporates, agency MBS, tips, munis. Right now, this is right here at these level of spreads. Um, you know, we, we have a, we have a bias for higher quality and I just want to just really shift over to you, Barry, because we've seen a tremendous performance from investing great corporates, um, in the last two months of the year. So I just wanted, if you could just review what really would push that to really have these spreads compressed and how you see this sort of playing out in the first quarter. Yeah, that's right, Leslie. So, right. So for the, the last quarter of 2023, investment grade corporates had a 7.9% uh, total return. Uh, the total return for the year was 8.4% uh, for IG, so most of that coming at the end of the year. Um, credit spreads also compressed by about 34 uh, basis points for IG corporates. But we think the asset class um, is still poised well this year. It tends to do well, you know, at the end of the Fed tightening cycle, um, you know, based on the decline in Treasury yields, you know, that, that we've been talking about. And even in a risk case, investment-grade bonds can still um, perform well because the extent by which credit spreads widen would be offset, we think, um, by lower Treasury yields. And the overall, you know, fundamental backdrop still remains supportive for IG. We think the asset class can deliver uh, total returns, you know, this year that come from the coupon of about, you know, let's say 5% um, coupon and carry. Um, plus some some price appreciation um, that could get your total return about the mid single digits for shorter maturity segments and high single digits for longer maturity segments. So, yeah, again, overall we think that the asset class um, should do well, and much of that, you know, based on uh, you know the, the duration effect that IG has, and it, you think it'll be you know driven by treasury yields rather than any compression in credit spreads because credit spreads you know, being um, really fairly valued at only 102 basis points, you know, according to the uh, the uh, IG index, you know, that, that we track. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate that. Okay. So I just, just in the quick, as we go to the, the first part of 2024 and a summation, you know, as the market has experienced the last two months of the year saw, you know, Financial conditions do very well. We saw the yields actually move down to the, into the 370s at the end of the year. Large spread compression. And the carry, although ample, it is not quite what we saw in the start of 2023. And as we, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast, we ended up with a 10 year year yield exactly where we started the year in 23. And yet we saw a lot of excess return. We saw a lot of price return within these sectors. We still are positive on fixed income as a sector overall because of our view that interest rates will decline to 3.5% by the end of the year, because our view that growth will slow but remain above trend, because we believe that the Fed will ease 100 basis points starting in May, but we do not think um, we will have a hard landing. We lean more to soft landing. All of these um, variables lead to you know, leaning into fixed income. And even those sectors that we are neutral on, uh, again, we are not negative. We are just waiting opportunistically for a bit of relief in spreads. And over the course of the business cycle, you will absolutely see some winding in spreads given the first 
given what we saw the last two months of the year. Our next podcast will actually be in, in March, and we'll go through our expectations of the second half of the year, recap the first quarter, and again, for, 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 until then, look to go into investing great corporates, agency MBS, high-quality CMBS, and tips. Thanks very much. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 